You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You, you feel this this nervousness on the phone there? Sir, I've been trying to make an urgent phone call up there. Well, I don't think it's something I want to do on an overseas phone. You got to make some phone calls. Hang up the phone. Prank caller. Prank caller. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to Packernet After Dark. This is the call-in show of the Packernet Podcast Network. If you'd like to call in, if you'd like to participate in the show, please feel free to do so. The phone number here is 608 501 0718. New callers go directly to the front of the line. We don't have any new callers today, so we'll start with Craig. Hey, Ryan. It's Craig from Indiana. Howdy. I just uh, finished uh, listening to your uh, PFF grade for the Falcons game. Um, Pretty pathetic. Yeah. It's amazing that we only lost by a point. I don't know what the grades were for the Falcons, but, you know, Bijan had to be super high. And and speaking of that, I've mentioned a couple times this other metric that's floating around out there, um, earned point, uh, the heck is it, earned drive points. So essentially just looking at the quality of your drives and kind of stripping out some of the maybe not super reproducible things that happened. And um, first of all, they had us losing to the Bears, which is terrible and shocking. But then... Beyond that, they had us losing even more comfortably to the Falcons. So according to that metric, which is looking at things that aren't likely to be reproduced in the future, we would be 0-2 having been beaten by the Bears and having been beaten pretty comfortably by the Falcons. Now, I, I don't know too much about that, but but it, it to some degree does make sense, right? The Packers have been the beneficiary of the turnovers, right? I mean, we, we missed two of them, but we still had another... Pick from Razula in the last game, um, and then against the Bears, we uh, took advantage of them pretty handily, including a pick six. But um, it also makes me a little nervous just because, you know, again, the, the, like things like EPA per play you look at, and it's like, man, that's really high, and I don't know if it's going to stay that way. So it's just it's just something that I've got in the back of my mind. I'm, I'm not leaning all the way into it, but it just makes me a little bit nervous, and I am excited for the Saints game to hopefully kind of clear some of this stuff up because it'll be a different kind of challenge, much stiffer defense. And I think if the offense is able to reproduce what it's done the last two weeks, which has been very impressive despite some of the consternation from some fans about last week, um, if they're able to reproduce that level of success, then then I'm then I'll probably be a, an all-in believer at that point. Um, but uh, and uh, and again, we could argue that we really should have won that game, but uh, yeah, just um, just strange. And uh, hopefully, some guys can step up. Yep. Um, I. I I, while I was watching, it looked like Rashad Gary um, was often like over pursuing. I know he's aggressive, he's a pass rusher, but sure. it seemed like there were at least two or three plays where he was just coming, just had a bad angle coming really fast towards the quarterback, and and people got around him. Um, and and maybe that's just uh, what you live with uh, with his uh, his rushing skills. But I didn't know if anyone else kind of noticed that and. If that's something that can kind of be taught to uh, to to be ready to kind of set the edge or or make an adjustment, well, it's it's kind of a it's it's a really unfortunate thing because I think the Packers have built their defense to be unbelievably aggressive, right? We're going to attack and we're going to trust the guys in the back end to hold it down. 
The Falcons took advantage of that. I mean, they took advantage of several things, but I think they took advantage of that in particular. And the problem is, you know, fans tend to get upset. Like, well, you, you got to slow down. You got to set the edge. What you end up with is like late stage Dom Capers where there's no pass rush. Everybody's, you know, when we got beat by all these mobile quarterbacks, nobody's even trying to rush the passer. They're just staying put. And not rushing the passer is a absolute death knell to your defense. You're dead. If you don't have a top pass rush, you don't have a defense. That is what makes our defense great. So, you know, I think maybe there there's a way to be more intelligent about it, given your opponent. I don't really know. Again, that's a Joe Barry thing. He's got to figure out whether or not we want to change our identity based on this team, or do we just hit the gas pedal and say, this is what we do and we got to make it work. I feel like that's kind of what we do. Just, just based on some of the comments that I've heard, I don't know specifically what happened, but it sounds like we didn't really tailor the defense much to face the Falcons. We more or less said, we're going to play our style of defense and hope that it works out. But, you know, if, if you put it to a vote, my vote would be no, don't slow down. I mean, again, maybe there's a little bit like, you know, against Justin Fields, you, you have to be careful, right? We generally play zone, but that's kind of dangerous against him. We should probably reconsider that. You know, being wild and crazy, which which we were even against Justin Fields, which I didn't really like with stunts and twists and whatnot. We got guys like, I mean, we're leaving massive gaps in the middle of the defense because we're trying so hard to get past people. We're running all the way around, and now there's just a big hole for him to run through. I mean, that's dangerous against any quarterback, but especially a guy like Justin Fields. So, you know, you got to be smart about this stuff. But, I mean, the thing I am the most excited about with this team is pass rush, and I really just don't want to... And I get what you're saying, but it it it's a very slippery slope in, in telling a guy like Rashawn Gary to take a little bit off. I mean, he, he can go from top three pass rusher to, you know, top 30 pass rusher pretty quick if he's slowing down a little bit just to kind of check. So, and I think the way that they're rotating these guys in too, I think with Rashawn, especially since they have him on a limited snap count anyways, when you put him in, you just tell him, go get somebody. And if you're worried about the run, you know, maybe you put in Preston and Lucas Van Ness or something. And you can't control that every single time, but but that's another way to maybe kind of control these things a little bit where you don't have to go to Rashawn and tell him to slow down. And you know what? You're going to get beat once in a while. That's going to happen. That comes with the territory. And people are going to get pissed, and they're going to say Rashawn sucks, and they're going to say Joe Barry's an idiot. But, you know, I mean, I, I think when you commit to things, you got to realize that there are, you know, s s another example could be like if we're playing tight press man coverage and we're being real aggressive, that's probably going to clear up a lot of the problems that we've had in terms of just giving up these easy passes, you know, that um, third and two, where we got a guy 10 yards off, like that stuff might start going away, but you know, what's going to start showing up are those 20 yard bombs over our head. We're getting beat. And I'm not saying it's the wrong decision. What All I'm saying is there's no perfect answer. And no matter what you're doing, there's always going to be something that, that can beat that. But as long as Joe Barry and the defense's commitment is to pass rush and coverage, which is affecting the pass, I really can't be that upset about it. And as much as this sucked against the run, and yes, maybe we should look to Brian Gutekunst and say, man, we need something because having one guy by the name of TJ Slayton just isn't enough. Whether that's right now or whether that's in the future, investing in an, another defensive tackle... I don't know. And maybe it could be development. We'll see what Wyatt can turn into or the other the other gentlemen, Wood, uh, Wooden and uh, and Brooks, can, can develop into. I don't know. We talked about this yester uh, yeah, yesterday on uh, Packernet Derailed. You know, maybe it's safeties, having them come down and, and, and do the job and run support more so than what we have right now. But, you know, that's sort of a future question. And so for right now, I want to make sure that if nothing else, we can cover and we can rush the passer. And I know it's frustrating that we can't stop the run, but if we step back and look at it as an evaluation year, if we can come out of this year saying, man, we sucked against the run, but we had a top five pass rush and our corners can lock it down, we can, we can work with that. Then we start to nibble around the edges like, well, how do we maintain this as the number one priority? Number one priority, make sure that you got guys that can cover. Number two is pass rush. I think that would be the order from an analytical standpoint. Because pass rush comes from coverage anyways. So number one, we got to make sure we can cover. Number two, we got to make sure we can rush the passer. And last year, we did a great job of that by dropping more people and bringing less. And now we can especially do it because we got some dogs up front that can get home without extra help. I don't mind sending Quay once in a while. By all means, send them. But we're talking like four times a game, maybe. But generally, yeah, drop extra guys in coverage. Make sure that you lock down the field. Then you bring the horses and make sure that they can get home. And if we can do that, 
we're in a good way. And yeah, you know what? We're going to struggle against teams like the Falcons that can run the ball. They got road graders and an elite running back. We might struggle against the Bears when they don't just completely suck and they can kind of figure out, oh yeah, we're kind of good at this run blocking thing and running with our quarterback and our running back. We might struggle against them. And you know what? If we play the 49ers in, in the playoffs, they're going to beat the living crap out of us with the run game. But I guess my stance right now would be, despite the complete frustration that we have never addressed properly this issue, I really, 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 really want to lean into the pass rush and the coverage and establish it and say, you know what? Yes, we are the 32nd ranked run defense team, but we're going to freaking bury your quarterback seven times in this game because he has nowhere to go and he can't escape our pass rush. And we're going to win a lot of games that way. Go ahead and try to run. Because then if you have an offense, you know how you stop him from running? You score points. We're going to win that way. We, we have to be able to do something against the run. But again, let's just establish the most important things first, and we'll work backwards from there. That's my preference. But again, we got to see how this goes down the stretch. If it becomes a massive problem where even mediocre to subpar rushing teams are able to bleed us down the field, then we have a major problem. But if a top five run running team is able to do it, you know, maybe for 2023, that just comes with the territory. And we just got to buckle down and say, well, crap, that sucks. Um, my other comment was on um, Jair's drop and the interception. Um, and I know they're not wide receivers, and they make the joke about that's why these guys play defense. But right. um, it does seem when you're actually, you know, making a making a play on the ball, making a cut, uh, just just getting in front of it, that that you'd be all ready to catch, right? I mean, it's that's why you're yeah. you're kind of jumping the route a little bit, right? Um, I can understand when you drop balls when, hey, I didn't really expect it to be here. Uh, you turn around and it's in your face or something, but clearly he's watching the quarterback and sure. making that jump. So I just get surprised when they do drop those um, because they're anticipating to intercept it, I would think, as they're making that cut. Um, next time I call in, I'll give you an update on uh, my uh, old Southern barbecue sauces. Yes. Uh, I've tried four. I'm going to try them again and uh, let you know. There, there are two that stand out for me, too, yep. but um, more to come on that. Take care. Bye. Awesome. Yeah, I mean, it's it's unfortunate. And and I think this has been a problem for Jair for kind of a long time. I mean, he gets there. He just doesn't really bring it in. Um, and I, I, again, I understand the frustration of it. And it does make a big difference if you can grab that ball and you should have. But, you know, if we just take that back a second and let's say he reached out and dove for it and batted it away, it would be the greatest play of the day, right? It's still a great read, jumped the route and broke it up. But it is what it is. I mean, Jair right now leads the league and dropped interceptions with two. But he's tied with Darius Slay, who's a pretty good corner. You know, I mean, it happens. You know, we still have, uh, we're, we're 12th right now in turnovers, so we're still doing quite well with that. I'm sure we would be way up there if we had completed those other two and had five. Well, actually, two from Jair, apparently. I don't remember the other one, but coulda, woulda, shoulda had six, I guess. It makes a difference, but I, I, I just, I would rather focus on the things that were bad as opposed to the things that were good, but could have been better as like the worst things that happened in this game. But yeah, he needs to he needs to tighten that up. Maybe he needs to get on the jugs machine. I don't know, because I think it's been a thing for him. Actually, last year, Razul was the droppy one. Uh, Jair only had one dropped interception all year. Uh, Razul had three of them. Then the year before that, it was Stokes. I remember that, actually. Stokes had three dropped interceptions. Before that was Kevin King with two. So Jair's had about one per year, actually, and it's uh, he's already up to two, which sucks. But yeah, look forward to you uh, letting us know what you think about the Old Southern Barbecue barbecue sauce and rubs and whatnot. Obviously, if you're interested in checking that out, you can go to OldSouthernBBQ.com. They have award-winning rubs. They've got a, uh, a beef rub, a brisket rub, a chicken rub, and a barbecue rub. I'm using the barbecue rub today. I know I said that yesterday, but I just didn't have time. But it's ready to go. I actually seasoned it and then threw it back in the fridge, which might not be the best thing in the world, but it's fine. We'll get those smoked up today. And it should be delicious. Looking forward to that for show. But that's uh, OldSouthernBBQ.com. Use promo code PACKERNET15. That's capital P, capital N, PACKERNET15. You get 15% off your order. All right. I think we need to, to have the conversation. Uh -oh. um, I know we've uh, we've been speculating a lot, but uh -oh. saw on Twitter that uh, I think uh, David Bakhtiari's brother um you know, shortly after the game, posted um, posted like a, a news clipping of like Div Bakhtiari didn't play in the game, and he quote tweeted that and uh, and posted that picture of the f around and find out guy um, with his little like graph thing. I'm, 
I'm sure people know what that is. So here, uh, here's my thoughts. Um, if, if it is true, um, that Bach is holding out because he doesn't want to play on turf, uh, trade him now. Like, like today. Um, I don't care to who. I don't want him on my team. And you might be thinking, hey, he's the best left tackle in the league. Um, he's also injury prone as shit. Um, and he's got a, that pissy Rogers attitude. And, and it's not to Rogers degree. I, I'm fully aware of that. I know Rogers was the quarterback, so he gets more attention, but I don't want that attitude on this team at all. We're, we're going into a new generation. We're going into a new team. This team is young. This team has potential. They want to play football. They like the game of football. And if you're going to hold out because you you don't agree with what surface you're playing on, I don't want you on this team anymore. I don't care how good you are. You're a cancer. You are toxic, and you are just bringing us down. Like you're you're going to hang your team out to dry. You're going to let your quarterback get hit multiple times because you oh I well I just I don't like to play on grass and I don't know but no. Now trade him now. Um, you know, maybe maybe see if the uh, the Jets want him for for next year or something. Just be like, hey, how about uh, how about you give us that first round pick after all um, that we lost because Rodgers is also a hundred thousand years old and can't stay on the field. Um, I, I don't know if they go for it, but yeah, I I, I don't like the attitude. I, I hate it, and I hate that he has just become like a mini version of Rodgers ever since Rodgers left. Um, don't like that. I, I've been I've been growing apart from liking Bach for a while now. He's kind of the last Rogers era guy. I know Jones, but Jones is different. He's just a good dude. So um, trade him. I, yeah, I, I'm just I'm tired of it. And if that's the actual reason, I really really don't want him on this team anymore because that is just not the attitude I'm looking for. So there, I said it. Um, I'd like to get your thoughts. So thank you. Well, I mean, I I was fairly clear that if that is the case, I'm with you 100%. That's that's wildly unacceptable. My current stance is that I will take the coach's word for what he said, although he was somewhat um, evasive and didn't really address the question head on. Um, he just said, well, he's injured, and he assumes that he wouldn't have played if it was uh, in Lambeau, but uh, that's that doesn't doesn't directly answer the question. We know his knee is hurt. We don't know that he hasn't had swelling for a long time, and you didn't directly answer whether or not he would have played this week. You basically just said, I don't know, probably not. Um, but anyways, the point is, we're going to find out real quick anyways. If he doesn't play this week, then that pretty much answers the question. I mean, it doesn't necessarily have to, but it, it tells us that, no, there, there's some serious injury stuff. If he does play, well, then we just assume he was injured for a week and he's back. But we have a lot of games coming up that are played in these domes that, that use that field turf stuff. If he plays all the home games and he misses all the, you know, he misses the Lions game, he misses the Vikings game, he missed the Falcons game, whatever other games we got coming up, um, then, then that pretty clearly answers the question. So, again, as of right now, I will take that at face value that he is injured. It's not that surprising. Uh, he does have a knee injury, which I, apparently is worse than I thought. I thought they were just holding him out for precautionary reasons, but apparently he has a knee situation that flares up after apparently one week, which could be very, very serious because, again, that reminds me of when we brought him back for one week at the end of, whatever, 2021 to try him out and his knee just blew up. So that has me nervous, like, what the heck is going on? Um, And, and yeah, as far as his brother, that... In the context of, no, he's just injured, that makes no sense. That's that's what piqued my interest, too, when he posted that. And again, like, the whole thing was surprising. People brought this up. I'm like, he's not going to sit out. Like, he's upset about it. Cool, he's going to talk about it. He's not going to sit out. And then he sat out, and then Matt LaFleur made his comments, and it was like, holy crap. And then his brother tweeted out, F around and find out. And it's like, what does that mean? Find out what? Who's effing around? Who, who, what, what did we find out? I thought Bakhtiari was just hurt. I don't, I don't, I don't, uh, I don't get it. So, you know, maybe his brother's just saying stuff and he doesn't actually know the situation and he just assumed his brother was sitting out and then decided to tweet about it. And that's not the case. 
And maybe Matt LaFleur is super sensitive about it and doesn't want to talk about it just because he hates talking about knee injuries. I, I it, it doesn't make a lot of sense, but again, I'll just sit back. I'll take it at face value. You're, you're basically telling me that it's because of his knee injury and has nothing to do with the turf, even though you did not say that, which you very easily could have just said. This has nothing to do with him sitting out because of turf. David Bakhtiari has a knee injury. It started to swell. It started to hurt. The doctors did not clear him for this game, and so he sat out. That's the end of it. Very, very easy to directly answer that question. No, he would not have played in Lambeau Field because his knee is swelling and it's hurt, and he was not cleared, and it has nothing to do with the, the, the grass or turf or anything else that he was about to play on. And, and, and again, I don't even know what's worse. I mean, I know what's worse from, from like a me being upset standpoint if he sat out, but it's not much better if, if, like I said, he played one game and now his knee's hurt and he can't play, and who knows how long? I, I don't know. I, is, I, I have no idea. No idea. And since they won't answer it directly, if he doesn't play in this game, then it's going to be like, okay, so is it one week? And then he won't talk about it. I don't want to talk about it. Okay? I mean, it could be six, seven weeks, and it's just like, we just assume he's okay every week. It's just a frustrating situation, man. I wish we could just get a straight answer. I know it's not something we have to know. I just, I don't like the way it's being handled, I guess, in general. But I've already stated all that. Yeah, this is Corey from Ohio. Haven't called in a while. What's up? Everybody's trying to blame one thing on this game. Like, we lost right. because of either Joe Barry, or we lost because the defense sucks, or we lost because the offense did this. It was a lot of everything. Right. Before had a couple bad calls, clock management, should have yep. kicked the field goal when he didn't. They would have had the score a touchdown to win at the end, and they weren't good in the red zone. Probably wouldn't have won. How many picks did we drop? We should have had. Get one of those, we would have won. Yep. If the offense could have got one drive in the last quarter instead of, what, 17 yards or whatever we got, guess what? One field goal, would have won. It was a mixture of a ton of different stuff is why we lost this game. It wasn't one thing. The offense, hell, even if they could have gained a couple drives and got a couple things going there in the last quarter and gave our defense a little bit of a rest, maybe they could have got that one stop we needed. It wasn't just one thing. It was a bunch of different stuff. Not a big deal. We're one and one, still on top of the division. Let's go. Yeah, I mean, there's no question we we have a desire, seemingly as humans, to to oversimplify things and try to break it down. We, we want to know what is the problem. Then we can fix the problem. I mean, again, it's, it's, it's a very common thing in politics, too. We oversimplify things, and then we oversimplify solutions. And of course, those solutions don't fix anything, because we just pin all the problems on this one thing, and then we have some stupid solution, usually just throwing money at it, and that doesn't fix it. And usually, actually, things get worse, and it's like, I, that doesn't make sense. Well, then let's throw more money at it. It's like, guys, we, we got to think here, man. This is why I like economists. Economists are cool people because they're like, check this out. And I, I had mentioned this book before, um, Basic Economics by Thomas Sowell. I love it because the whole book is just him being like, so we got this problem. It's like, dang, that sounds like a problem. He's like, yeah, it's a problem. So what do we do about it? I'm like, I don't know. He's like, well, here's what politicians did. They did this so that it would fix this. And I'm like, well, that kind of makes sense. I'm like, oh, does it? Okay, let's, let's, let's walk through that. If you do that, then there's this cause and effect, which causes this to do this, which causes this to, the, to do this, which causes more problems and actually makes the problem worse on top of new problems that you've created. It's like, oh, dang. So like things are intertwined. It's not just one individual thing. It's like a bunch of things mixed together. And if you mess up one thing, then that messes up the other thing. And it's just like this web of things. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's the same thing here. And you're right. I mean, I, I, I mean, obviously, I've fallen on one side in terms of what is more to blame than the other. It's, it's really not even close in my mind for a, a litany of reasons that I've already spoken about. But you're right. I mean, it, it, this is a team sport. And at any one time, if anybody, we went over the PFF grades, how many people really rose to the occasion? Basically nobody. A couple rookies on offense. That's it. And that includes the coaching staff. I, I, I don't think we spend a lot of time actually defending people that we shouldn't be defending. I mean, as much as we also want to tear down one person, we also defend everybody else because we want, no, 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 just the one guy I don't like, so I'm going to defend everybody else. No, I didn't, maybe nobody should be defended. Joe Barry should not be defended. Jair should not be defended. Maybe a couple people. Like, you know, Quay deserves a round of applause, although he dropped a pass, and that should be at least a little slap on the wrist. Offensive line? Nah, not really. 
I mean, Zach Tom pass block well, and that's cool. Congratulations. You should probably work on the run blocking, but I guess I won't complain too much. And yeah, at the end of the day, then, it, it, even everything I just said is not necessarily true. I mean, it, it's true on its face, but also, we shouldn't just sit around being pissed about everything. Jair had a bad day. He did. And, and I mentioned it before, Andy Herman said it's the worst grade he's ever given him. And he should, he, he deserves to be, you know, scorned for doing such a bad job. But at the same time, it's the worst grade ever. He's a good football player. He's going to bounce back. He had a bad day. I think he got up in his head. I think he went up against a big physical receiver, which just kind of pushed him around. And he wasn't used to that and didn't like that and didn't respond very well. They didn't have the energy. They didn't have the juice. They were kind of, I mean, they were kind of getting worked. Everything they were doing was wrong. The The Falcons deserve a lot of credit for basically getting up in our guys' heads. Every You go over there, we throw over here. You come over here, we're going to throw over there. I mean, they, they just they just whipped us. And the defense didn't like it. They looked like little punks. And that gets into your head. And it messes with you. The offense did good until it didn't. And that falls on the quarterback. It falls on the receivers for not catching the ball. It falls on the offensive line for not being able to get any kind of push. It falls on A.J. Dillon for tripping all the time when he could have just fallen forward and gotten touchdowns or first downs or whatever the case may be. It falls on the special teams unit for not just kicking a field goal, but instead lollygagging and letting the time run out. It falls on Matt LaFleur for not calling a timeout because that's kind of critical and then also deciding not to kick the field goal, which maybe was the right decision, probably wasn't. Obviously, with hindsight, we could say that it wasn't, but I don't know what the analytics say at the time. I, I would assume just kick it, especially when you know you lose by one. So yeah, there's a lot of stuff. But these are also a lot of things that you can look at and say, you know what, that's probably not going to happen a lot in the future. And you could borderline say we should have won this game. And that's a good thing. So bounce back. Another game next week. We're expected to win the game, which honestly I'm a little surprised by, although I've been looking into it a little bit. Saints offense is pretty putrid, which is great. This looks like a great game to showcase our defense. Maybe not as much our offense, but a great game to showcase our defense. You know why? Because there is a pocket passer with a terrible offensive line, and they suck at running the ball. This, this, is, this is a tailor-made offense for our defense to bounce back. It's a one-point loss. A lot of people sucked. And you know what? That's to be expected. Maybe not as much from our defense and guys like Jair, but guys like Jair are going to have bad days once in a while. Guys like Rashawn are going to have bad days. It happens every single year. Razul is going to have bad days. Quay is going to have bad days. Love is going to have... It loves, love, at one point, Love is going to have a terrible game. Like, that's going to happen. It happened to Rodgers. It happens to Mahomes. It happens to the best of everybody. They're going to have just terrible games. It just doesn't happen often, and that's what makes them so great, on top of having a lot of really, really good games. But that's coming. Aaron Jones has terrible games. Was that the playoff game or whatever? Or the was it against Detroit? He had like three fumbles? It's putrid. It's football, man. I don't know. So, yeah, I, I, my thought generally is... We spent the first few days being angry and looking at the things that didn't work. It's now middle of the week. It's Wednesday. It's time to move forward. Not not saying we're not acknowledging it, but we can't just piss and moan about the same things the whole time. And and the whole thing shouldn't be about pissing and moaning anyways. It should be about just learning and understanding. Like, okay, so the, the I think we've established what our run defense probably is and isn't. It might change, but we've kind of established that. What else do we know? Well, the coverage wasn't great, but it's probably going to be better than that because this, this was a low for most of those guys. Linebackers did a pretty good job. Defensive front can still get get pressure, but stopping the run is a problem. And we had a lot of opportunities, and we didn't capitalize. And you know, it was it was almost the opposite of week one. We capitalized on all our opportunities in week one. That's how we beat the crap out of the Bears. In week two, we didn't capitalize. We dropped two interceptions. We didn't get it done in crunch time. Third and fourth down, we were terrible. At the end of the game in the fourth quarter, we were terrible. That's how you lose games. Week one was the exact opposite. Third and fourth quarter, we dominated. Uh, uh, well, yeah, I mean, the second half we dominated, but also third and fourth down we dominated. That's how you win football games. I don't know, man. It's a young team. We'll figure it out. Hey, it's Corey from Ohio again. Just hey. had another thought. A lot of people, too, you know, Jordan Love played a decent game, but he did miss some things. He had Romeo Dobbs wide open on a couple times. He didn't throw him the ball. To be fair, one of those, the coach said, was Romeo Dobbs' fault. But, yes, he does miss throws. You hit those plays, sustains and drives. Could have been some more points right there. I mean, he's playing pretty good, but he does, you know, he's had some errors, too. Oh, yeah. goes, and everybody's talking about A.J. Dillon not doing a good job. I watched all game. The dude's getting hit in the backfield or at the line of scrimmage right. almost every time. He's not going to be Superman. Right. Our guy's got a run block. Aaron Jones is quicker. He gets to the line sometimes before he gets touched. That's why he gets those four or five yards every time. Right. Dillon's yeah, I mean, Dill Dillon's not built for this. Dylan, Dylan needs a little bit of buildup. You know, he needs some room to run. Give him something to work with. You know, and that's how guys get good grades 
and how guys get good stats. It's not because if you get like 5.5 or 6 yards per carry in a game or 7 yards per carry in a game, it's not because you consistently ran for 7 yards. You got a 1-yard gain, a 2-yard gain, a 40-yard gain, a 3-yard gain, and and then you know you mix in a touchdown here or there. That's how you do it. But it's 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 having consistent opportunities. He doesn't have any opportunities. So, you know, again, I'm not making excuses for him. I I don't think he's doing anything that's massively special, Um, at least in terms of I'm looking at it and going, yeah, that was nice. I think Emmanuel Wilson could have done that also. Um, Even when you look at it, well, he couldn't push a pile like that. Did you see the Emmanuel Wilson run? He ran through that guy harder than I think I've ever seen A.J. Dillon hit anybody. It's just speed. You know, that's what what that is. It's, It's power is, I don't know if I'm saying the right words, but Power generation is the size of the mass of the thing and the speed at which it's moving. So when you got Emmanuel Wilson, who's a little bit smaller, but is just flying and then lowers his shoulder and slams into somebody, he he absolutely ripped the head off of that guy. I think it was Emmanuel Wilson. I could be wrong. I, it might have been somebody else. I'm assuming it was because he's the only one on, of those three between Dylan and Taylor and Wilson that actually runs like that. So there's nothing special, but I I just think Dylan is built for. I mean, he's he's a lot like Derrick Henry. I mean, Derrick Henry operated at a really high level when he had a really good offensive line and ran the ball like 25 times a game. And yeah, he had great stats. Part of it is volume, and part of it is because in 25 opportunities, two, three, four of those are going to be big gains. If you give Dylan six opportunities or seven, and he's getting hit behind the line, what opportunity does he have? To get a good grade or to get good stats or anything. Well, you only got two point some odd yards per attempt. Well, yeah. Give him more attempts and more actual real opportunities behind a competent offensive line, and that number will go up. I mean, just necessarily. I mean, it's, it's it just is what it is. So I, I, I genuinely think it's a little bit of both. I think Dylan can be a good running back. We've seen it every single year he's been here. He's a very reliable running back. But there's got to be something to work with, and he has to have some level of opportunities. And it's just been it's just been d- two different defenses working just straight downhill and just crushing everything. Again, we, we're usually good at screen passes. I think every screen pass we've thrown has been blown up behind the line of scrimmage. Everything we've tried to get going to the outside has just been dead. They are coming straight downhill at us. So we got to get that sorted out, man. And if that's just forcing defenses to change the way they play, hopefully Christian Watson will come back. Really just scare the crap out of defenses to not want to be so aggressive downhill open some things up, help the offensive line a little bit, then maybe we start to see a resurgence of A.J. Dillon. I still think that's coming, assuming that the offensive line, the offense, whatever, figures this out. Now, again, do I do I think Dillon is legitimately going to be like a, 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 a dominant number one? Not really. Do I think you can probably find something comparable, not athletically, but in terms of talent in the mid-rounds pretty consistently? Yes, I do. I think, for example, you found Roshan Johnson, who the Bears have. I don't know this, but I have a feeling Roshan can probably do what A.J. Dillon does. Maybe even better, I don't know. They have a much better run-blocking offensive line over there, so it's it's not a fair comparison. But just based on what we've seen, I like Dillon. He's consistent, but I, I just think you can find consistent play in a lot of places. A different type of back. you got to block for him, let him get some steam. You get him, right. you catch him four yards out, run full out of steam, you ain't going to tackle him. But they're tackling him, hitting him behind or at the line of scrimmage before he can even get anything going. And why aren't we using Luke Musgrave more? Every yeah. time they dial something up for him, it seems like it works. He should be getting eight, nine, ten targets a game, not three. Go, Pat, go. Yeah, it'll be interesting to go back. I, I went on Patreon and I did ask, what do you guys want me to watch? I was shocked. Everybody said the trenches. Like, everybody wants... I, I did not expect that at all. Um, but that was pretty much everybody. Um, somebody did mention Luke Musgrave, though, and I, I am curious to see, like, did, did they deliberately try to take him away? Or... Um, because I, we know that they pretty much took uh, Dobbs away, but I think they did that with just the number one corner, so they didn't have to allocate a ton to that. So, you know, I don't know. It just, uh, yeah, it was Jason says, I'd like to understand what they're doing with Musgrave. I thought he'd be used to pull linebackers to give our young wide receivers more space, but I only hear about him being good at blocking. I mean, to be fair, that might be what's happening. I mean, Jaden Reed had a very good day, and we also were able to take advantage of Dontavian Wicks. Perhaps the, the space that they had was cleared out by Musgrave. So it will be interesting to go back and kind of watch that. Um, uh, Billy Morris, who's been around a long time. Hope you're doing well, Billy. Been a patron since... November 2018, my man. He said, check out Josiah DeGuara. Mark wanted me to look at Rashid. 
Carlo said the trenches, definitely. The O-line was bad, but look at that lineup. Easy answer. But how did Ritter have himself a day? And then uh, Brandon said, I would like you to watch Josh Myers and Kenny Clark. So all, all mostly trenches and tight ends. I mean, that's, that is it. So I will be doing that as soon as I can find some time. I was going to start a little while before this. And I was like, no, I better, I better get on this. Anyways, forgot to take a break. So why don't we go ahead and do that? We'll take a quick break. Um, shout out, by the way, to uh, Jack Felser. Thank you for jumping in on Patreon, man. I really appreciate that. Patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddy. If you want to support the podcast, you can do so for as little as a dollar a month. I also have a Q&A in there if anybody has any direct questions that you want me to address on the podcast. I forgot about that. I used to do that all the time and figured I'd do it again. No taker so far, but it's there if you want to uh, ask a question. Take a break. We'll be right back. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. Brian, Kyle hey, from Madison, what's so up, man? Kyle... Yeah, just just was listening to your uh, your after dark today on Tuesday, and uh, I made a comment about play calling, and I know that you don't like hearing about people complaining about play calling, and I get it. Uh, I do. I mean, I think half the time the complaints are just outcome driven, um, and so I, I understand your your pet peeve there. I'll push back a little bit though, and maybe I should have made. And and to be fair, if, if I think I know what you're addressing, I could be wrong. I say a lot of stuff. I'm not saying you can't really complain about it. I'm just saying I can't really address it because I don't know. But you can you can talk about whatever you want. I just don't have a lot to add to it. The point's a little better to begin with. In particular, my issue with the play calling, and you're right, I don't have the assets to like figure out whether or not the original plays were the problem or what they were checked to or any of that. But overall, to me, like the theme was we're not able to push the ball downfield. Uh, we don't have Watson. We haven't been able to get those routes down the field open. The defense is really smashed up against the line. It's a very compressed um, area that you're trying to make passes, and it's making it really difficult for the run to work because, and also because our, our run blocking was terrible. And, and it just we were just eating a lot of early downs on nothing, you know, really felt like wasted opportunities. And so when it comes to the, what I think, this is not the fourth down, not the final series. I kind of throw out that final series. You got under a minute, no timeouts, the defense teeing off on you. And I think honestly, really, I mean, if there wasn't a stupid penalty and Wicks just catches that, Love would have converted a very impressive fourth down. But I'm talking about the series before where you've got, Third and one, I believe it was. And we just haven't been getting anything going on the interior with Dylan the whole game. The whole game. And to me, that's your got to have it down. Don't wait till you get the ball back maybe with under a minute, no timeout. Get that first down. And I just thought it was just really uninspired play calling. Let's just run him up the gut, no, you know, without a blocker, and he'll be stopped. And I just, while I was watching the game, I'm thinking, you know, if this is like Andy Reid or somebody, I understand that's a different personnel. But, like, 
get in your bag, find a freaking play that can get you one yard, and so you can probably win the game if you get a first down there. Not certain, but it's looking good. Instead, it's the same thing that hasn't worked however many times this game. You just just run your head against the wall. Um, I mean, I would love to have seen some kind of a flat, uh, like a, something in the flat there, play action flat. You just need a yard. I mean, I would have loved to see something a little bit <laughs> more exciting from our, you know, savant play caller coach there than just the let's run Dylan into a brick wall thing. And if you're going to do that because you're thinking, well, we're going for it out. So he does call back. Um, well, all right, I'll just let him finish. Hey, Kyle, get cut off. I'm just saying, if you know you're going to run Dylan into a brick wall and you may not get it, then you better have the fourth down play ready to go. If that's your mindset, like, hey, we're going to run it twice, we're going to get this first down. Okay, run it twice. Get yourself right back to that line and then run the sneak. Maybe you make the Falcons take a timeout. You keep the crowd from gassing up again in the volume. It was just a disappointing sequence. Like, so if you're running Dylan, you should have the second play ready for fourth down immediately. Run it quickly. You know, if you – I don't know. You know, so it just felt like there wasn't flow in the play call, and there wasn't, you know, like writ large. I didn't see plays enticing the defense to react a certain way and then plays that built off of that by punishing them for their reaction by opening something else. And I thought LaFleur was really good at that week one. And we just didn't see that, um, whether that was a lack of – I don't want to say execution. I just didn't see the plays. Uh, but more likely a lack of personnel out there. But, I mean, I thought the pass protection was pretty good. So I just think there was opportunities for some you – know, move the pocket, maybe get maybe a couple boots, see if uh, love could work, and then maybe run for a little bit. I, I don't know. just seemed like we left some stuff out there. Anyway. Talk to you later. Yeah, so a couple things on that series, and I know you were primarily focusing on the end of it, but as I said, we started the series with a run and we got five yards. You don't know what you're going to do on second down until what happens on first down is finished. I don't think they necessarily expected to get five yards on that. So now that you get five yards, it kind of opens up an opportunity to run again. Because that was a very successful run. It's not as though, well, it's never worked all day, so why are you doing it? It just did. Just now. We got five yards on that. So now you want to run it again, and you get four yards. That's another successful play. That's two back-to-back successful runs. So now you get to third and one, and this is where, I guess, you're having most of your issues. First of all, we just had two successful runs back-to-back. I think running the ball makes a lot of sense. Now, unfortunately, we got no gain. So now that sucks, right? Because... You know, first of all, as I've said before, I'm I'm generally more of a coward. If I have a field goal, take the points. I don't like going for it on fourth down. It just scares the crap out of me. Just give me the points, all that stuff. If, if you have one yard to get on third and one, and you know you're probably going for it twice anyways, don't throw the ball. It's way too high risk for me. Just run it. Just get the yard. Now you come up short. Well, that sucks, but you can do it again. The only issue I have on this is apparently there is a play out there that they're considering banning because it's basically cheating because it's almost automatic. Why in the F are we not running that? We we did it in the preseason and we were undefeated every single time and I was so excited because I'm like, good, because they wouldn't do it with Rodgers. I don't know if that's a Rodgers thing or if it's a LaFleur thing, but they wouldn't do it. The Eagles are doing it. Everybody else is doing it. The Packers are talking about Mark Murphy's like, we need to ban this because it's like cheating. Dude, if, if there is an automatic play for one yard, I don't care if it's second and one, run it. Or have some kind of a, a, a... See, that's the thing. Like, First of all, perfect this. You need to practice every single time you have practice. This needs to be practiced. You need to study the Eagles. You need to study every single football team that's doing this and doing it successfully. Go study Tom Brady. Because you know how valuable it is to be able to get an automatic one yard no matter what? I mean, if it's third and two, we can run two sneaks. Automatic first down. Third and two becomes fourth and one. We run it again. Boom. And that's assuming you don't get it on the first because you can get some... The Eagles pick up two, three yards on that freaking sneak. They just bulldoze everybody completely out of the way. Why are you not doing that? It shouldn't even be a question. And then the other thing that did bother me is Matt LaFleur apparently told Jordan Love, I don't know, I don't know what they were going to do. It sounds like it was on fourth and one they were going try to try to draw people off, which is the dumbest crap in the world. It works 1% of the time, which I guess why not? But, but the problem is then you give him a word. You're like, hey, but if you see a look, go ahead and call out this word. He calls it the wrong word. Everything gets mad. Dude, it just, just go for the sneak. 
Just go, just do it. It's supposed to be automatic. You should have done it on third and one. I don't get it. Why? What, what are you worried about? The quarterback getting hurt? Is it more dangerous running a sneak than it is him getting blindside sacked? Get the yard. Steal it. You have two opportunities to sneak for a yard. Forget Dylan. Forget everything. Put Tucker Craft or whoever your strongest tight end is, line them up behind the quarterback, snap the ball, and push. I don't, I don't know how we have a play that is considered unstoppable. And I know it's not unstoppable, but it's almost unstoppable. It works at a very high rate. Critical point of the game. Definitely need a first down. And, and that was the series. We run A.J. Dillon, which we shouldn't have done. We should have snuck the ball. It's third and one. And then we get another opportunity, and the plan isn't to do the sneak unless you get some kind of a look, and that gets jumbled, and that gets messed up, whatever. And even that sneak didn't have anybody behind him. It was just an old-school sneak. Why don't you just run the... Why don't you do the thing? What are you worried? Like, if we line up the tight end behind him, then they'll see, and then they'll know? So what? That's the point. You can't stop it. If you could stop it, then it wouldn't be a thing. There's nothing they can do. Push! Is it that you don't trust your guys? Because I'm telling you, the, the value of this is unbelievable. If it's because Josh Myers isn't strong enough, replace him. Find somebody else. Get some big mauling center. I don't give a crap. To, to, if you shorten this game to where everybody else has, has to get 10 yards for a first down, we only need nine. Because if we can get within a yard, it's automatic. So basically every single time we play, it's first and nine. And you're not going to take that opportunity? I would, I would just love to hear why I'm wrong about this. I mean, give me a reason why... That isn't the case. Because again, very serious debate apparently about this play being illegal because it's cheating because it's so easy and it's so automatic. Dude, any time, any time you get into an and one situation, if you aren't learning to per perfect this so that you can run that play so that you can do it, you're an idiot. And we did it all preseason and it worked every single time. So yes, as far as play calling goes, that is the one thing. Again, I don't mind... I mean, well, you should have started with a pass. Okay, you can't start with a pass every single time. You got to run it sometimes. I know what the, the analytics say, but you have to run once in a while. We ran it and we had a successful run. We ran it again. We had another successful run. It's third and one. I don't mind running it. Probably should have just done the sneak, but whatever. You run the ball. Now it's fourth and one. Just sneak the ball. Sneak the ball. Sneak the ball. Sneak the ball. Sneak. It's not a question. It's not a if you get a look. There is no look. I don't care what they're doing. We're doing it. Then you can start working on some crazy stuff, right? Here's the thing. You start building plays off of that sneak because defenses have to sell out so hard. What if you did like a direct snap to that tight end? What if you had Musgrave in the back and everybody's just so smashed up at the line? Or what if it's not even Musgrave? What if you put like Christian Watson behind him just to scare the crap out of people so that they can't sell out? He snaps it between Jordan Love's legs to Christian Watson who takes off. That'd be dope. That'd be crazy. I'm saying just, just perfect this one thing. Make it so that if we if, if we are anything and one, if we're on the goal line, anything like we, it's over. You lose. We win. It's so valuable. Do it. Do it. Do it. Do it. It just drives me nuts that we did it in the preseason. Everybody else is doing it. It's working. It's fantastic. We just decided we don't want to do it. It's bull crap. Anyways, why don't we take one more quick break and we'll come back and see what Dakota's got to say. Hey, y'all. Uh, I haven't called in in a while. This is Dakota, that nerd. What's up, man? Up? I, um, I've been very busy, but I have been enjoying all of the Packer Net After Dark episodes. But I really do got to weigh in on something. All right. So I might be the only person on the planet that would not be, I guess, livid if uh, it turns out that Bakhtiari did decide to stay out of that game because it was on turf. So we now know that, was it uh, uh, LaFleur? LaFleur said that, yes, there was some swelling in the knee, but if this was Lambeau, he probably would have played. Obviously, Lambeau's grass, all right? He's always going to have a little bit of swelling, probably with this knee injury. It seems like it's something that's inevitable. Um, but... If he honestly thinks that playing on a specific turf is going to completely ruin his knee so he can't play anymore, I'm on board with him not playing that game. Yes, we lost it. If we had Super Bowl aspirations, I would expect him to be out there. But obviously, turf is an issue, right? So now let's, I've heard people say, well, that's what the money's for. Okay, well, money doesn't cure things. Money can pay for treatment. 
all of the money that Bakhtiari has and that the Green Bay Packers have that specifically they spent on Bach's knee obviously hasn't cured it. There's no cure for it. There's only treatment. So if he gets out there on turf and completely ruins it, it doesn't matter how much money you have. Elon Musk couldn't pay for it to get his knee fixed unless he has a bionic knee, and I'm sure there's some rule somewhere you can't have a robot knee. I don't know. But let's say, you know, the next time he goes, you know, we have a turf game, and he has some slight swelling, but he's like, okay, sure. Let's play on turf, and then he ruins it. Is is that worth it to us? I mean, then we lose him, right? We lose Bach. we got to have him at least for this year. Now, maybe he should retire. If his knee's that bad, he should retire, keep his money. But I don't want to risk losing him because there's still a chance we could use him in the playoffs if we're going to playoff run. I might be this. I mean, I have several other arguments. I'm not going to keep going. But uh, I might be the only one that's okay with it uh, for the moment. I also don't see him sitting on every single turf game forever because if he's healthy, put him on uh, limited stats, right? I mean, Elton Jenkins had a completely healthy knee and it messed, or MCL. And he messed up his NCL. It's worse for the for the heavier players. Uh, he's already box already got an injury. I mean, I feel it's inevitable now that he's going to ruin it on turf this year. But um, let let's let him keep going. He's got a couple other calls here. I'll, I'll let him get it all out, and then I'll give my thoughts. I was literally two seconds from ending the call, and I will be dead nabbed if I'm going to let this robot <laughs> end it on its own terms. So. Y'all, peace out. All right, he's got one more call. I'm guessing it's about something else. So I'm actually surprised you're the first person to call in about that, and I'm actually surprised that you didn't actually use the argument that I thought you would, because I think I can add to your argument for you. I'm sure there are people who have thought it and just haven't said it, but the the low-hanging fruit to support this argument is, look at Elton Jenkins. He got hurt on this turf. So Bakhtiari was right, right? I mean, this is not good. <sighs> let's, let's, let's go through it here. Just, just so we're clear what we're talking about. So if he does sit out all those games, he sits out the Falcons game, and then he plays a lot, right? We got the Saints, we got the Lions, we got the Raiders, we got the Broncos, we got the Vikings, we got the Rams, the Steelers, the Chargers, and then, because some of those, they, they have turf, but it's at Lambeau. Lions game, he's out. Then Chiefs at home. Giants game, he's out. Bucks at home. Panthers game, he's out. Vikings game, he's out. Bears at home. He's going to miss four of the last eight games, and that's assuming he's healthy for the other four. And, and, and I understand. I'm not saying that this is the case, but just going with the argument that he should sit out turf games. That's five total games this year. As far as the money is concerned, I'm not talking about treating. I'm, I'm, I'm talking about the contract we gave you to play left tackle for the Green Bay Packers. I understand that there's a higher risk when you play on turf. The problem is that higher risk applies to everybody. And if we follow this logic, why is it just him? What if we have long-term damage to Elton Jenkins? Should he have sat out? Should should Jordan Love have played? And again, you got to remember, if we're sitting our offensive linemen, we're putting Jordan Love at risk of injury because he's going to get hit more. And if it's just Bakhtiari because he's so delicate that even a tiny little tweak could blow up his knee, well, now we kind of get to Nate's point where it's like, well, then you're just not worth being here. If we know you're going to be out five games this year, and there's a low chance you're going to make it even the rest of the games because this is football, and if a tiny tweak can mess up your knee, you're not going to make it the rest of the year. So you don't deserve anywhere near the amount of money that you're going to be getting. And and additionally to your point of like, we need to preserve him. Preserve him for what? For what? He's not going to play down the stretch of this season anyways, because he's going to be out for the last eight games. We're not Super Bowl contenders this year, but next year he's not even going to be on the team. We're not saving him for next year. And even if we did, what, what are we saving him for next year for? He's not going to play next year either. Look, this is football. And Yes, maybe we should change some of these fields over to grass. I'm still not even convinced that it's a thing. I understand the argument for it. I need to, somebody, there's an article that's been in my tabs for a long time, basically saying they've done a research study and it's bunk. There are not more injuries on on turf. I haven't read it yet. But just again, assuming that that's even true, we're not going to forfeit games because it's on turf. We are not going to sit out players because it's on turf. You're going to play. And if you are refusing to play football games with the rest of your teammates, then you're just, it's not going to work out. It's just not. And I mean, we're in a situation now where we don't have a better option. Our, our back's up against a wall. I'm assuming the Packers didn't know this would happen. And if they did, then they probably should have looked a little bit closer at offensive line in the draft. But I think for now, you know, I, I would disagree with Nate that we need to get rid of him now. Eh, we'll, we'll use him as long as we can to try to protect 
Jordan Love when we can to try to get us into next year where we can find a replacement. And we need to make it very clear to everybody here that you will be playing every game and you're not allowed to just choose to sit out. That's not a thing. There are going to be situations that suck. There are going to be uh, hazardous environments. I mean, we may have to play in 100 degree heat down in Florida. That's not safe. But guess what? You're putting your pads on, you're running around like crazy in 100 degree heat. That's the way it goes. And if it's negative 12 and you're playing in Lambeau in January, that's not great either, but you're going to do it. And it's going to hurt and it's going to suck. And you're going to risk injury. Very severe injury, in fact. But that's what you signed up for. That's what you're going to do because I said so. Because you don't just quit on your team. That's not a thing. So I get what you're saying. We need to try to preserve them, but preserve them for what? What are, what are we saving them up for? We're not going to the playoffs, like you said. And even if we are, he's not going to be. <laughs> Could you imagine if he sat out a playoff game? Can you imagine if we like went into Detroit the first week and Bakhtiari just like, nah, I'm not playing? Oh my goodness. So I get it. Um, but I'm, yeah, I'm not, I'm not with you on that one. Hey, uh, this is Dakota, Matt Nerd, NBC again. Um, I actually have something else to, to ask about too. All, all these, uh, fired Joe Barry folks. Now, I'm not claiming to have the knowledge of whether or not, you know, he should keep his job by the end of the season, but, uh, I just, I got one major question that I, that I am, uh, concerned about. For those of y'all that want to fire him, you know, before the next game, who would replace him? Um, we need a better prospect than what Joe Barry is now. Because obviously he's not the worst in the league. We don't have the worst defense in the league. So there's, we can always do worse. So right now, who would be available if we fired him now? Now, I, I guess you'll pause and answer that, but... My my thing is that um, there there's nobody at this moment. Um, now, of course, we could definitely it'd actually be very interesting. We could look into who are up and comers um, and who's you know been in certain systems for so long. Who would we like to give the reins to maybe after this year? But uh, yeah, right now nobody's available. I would like to see who we do have up and coming. I was a big Ajiro Evero when we hired Joe Barry. I, I really wanted him. Yep. Now we have yet to see whether or not that you know I'll fight. But uh, I mean, who would be the next Ajiro Evero? Um, and don't say anybody in the in 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 college. Uh, and this isn't geared specifically towards you, Ryan. It's all this. Whoa, hire Jim Leonard. Well, you can't <laughs> pull these folks away. I mean, they got good cushy gigs. Never know. I mean, you can't. Fire somebody and then, well, with the hopes you can't fire somebody with the hopes that you're going to hire one of these college folks on because the majority of the time uh, they don't come over and then the majority of the time that they do they severely do not work out. Um, but anyway, yeah. So who's available? Who's our next potential defensive coordinator after the 2023 year? Just curious. All right. Bye. Yeah. Um... Fair enough. Uh, first of all, and I'm not saying you were doing this, but I have heard people do that in the past as sort of like a gotcha. I, I think it's a terrible gotcha. Nobody needs to have the solution to know that something needs to be done, right? If somebody needs to go, they need to go. Like if, if, if Josh Myers just completely implodes and he's terrible, I don't need to know who the draft prospect is or the free agent is that's going to be a replacement and is going to be better to know that we need to at least try. You know, we cannot accept failure simply because it might not fix it in the future. That's true. But you have to make a change if something's not working. I'm not saying directly, Joe Barry, it has to be. And again, I'm not saying you're doing this, but I do know some people do that, and it's supposed to be some kind of a gotcha, and I think it's a terrible gotcha. I do want to check in on Ajiro Evero because I know people love talking about him, and so I'm kind of curious. So he went to Denver in 2022. So Denver's defense in 2021 was where the heck are they they ranked 21st and then they went up to 13th last year so not elite but they did get better and then he got hired away to defensive coordinator for the carolina panthers this year carolina was ranked 20th how they doing so far this year currently ranked 18th and this is all via dvoa so i mean nothing massive i mean in, in it's improvement in both cases and we'll see if if uh carolina can make a massive jump and of course players play into this at some point, but 
I don't think we've seen anything from Jero Evero that would be like, dude, he he took this defense and made it like, you know, like Vic Fangio did with the Bears. Like he just over like a five year span turned him into the this elite dominant defense that everybody's been inse- obsessed with ever since. I mean, it was he took a bad defense and made it slightly less bad, but still bad. And then so far in Carolina, he took a bad defense and made it almost identically bad, but maybe a hair better. So I, I know there's more nuance to that, but just on a very quick glance, I'm kind of surprised. That, as much as people still talk about that was so stupid, we had Evero, we could have drafted. He would have been the greatest thing in the world. I, I mean, I don't think so. Maybe. I don't know. We'll keep an eye on Carolina, see how they're doing. But all right, let's take a look here. Um, so I found this list here of um, people to keep an eye on for defensive coordinators. Now, interestingly enough, this article was written in um, early in 2023. The top guy on this list has already been hired as a defensive coordinator, and that's Sean Desai. Desai has been working up the ranks a lot. He spent a lot of time in Chicago under Fangio. He was actually Chicago's defensive coordinator, went over to Seattle for a year, and is now Philadelphia, the Philadelphia Eagles defensive coordinator. So solid gig there. Next on the list is a guy, I'll be honest, I don't even know who he is. Haven't heard of him, but Ryan Crow, outside linebackers coach for the Tennessee Titans. A little bit surprising, but that's the thing about these coaching things, man. It, it really doesn't have anything to do with the production on the field. That's why people got so mad about Joe Barry, and I think rightfully so because he has been a defensive coordinator, but a lot of it just really has to come down with being really intelligent with what it is we need you to be able to do. And the reason I say that is because I, I don't think Tennessee's pass rushers are necessarily known for being fantastic uh, <laughs> football players traditionally. But he would maybe have some familiarity with um, our head coach because he was there in Tennessee. He's been there for six seasons now. Uh, young dude just working his way up. I don't I don't have a lot to tell you other than he's a pass rush guy, which, I mean, is always a good thing. You know, Mike Pettin was a, was a pass rush guy. Joe Barry is more of an inside guy. Not that that massively matters, but, you know, whatever. I don't know. Then we've got uh, Demarcus Covington. He started back in 2012 over at UAB. Found his way over to the New England Patriots in 2017 as a coaching assistant. Worked his way up to outside linebackers coach in just a couple years and is uh, now the defensive line coach. Has been since 2020 for the New England Patriots. So, you know, and, and part of it is, you know, do, do we want... I don't know. I don't, I'm sure there's a lot of different trains of thought on this in terms of what do you want? I mean, the, the Patriots or the, the Vikings, for example, just threw out, I couldn't give a crap what the last guy's doing. Just give me somebody who's talented who does anything defensive. Well, they hired a guy and then they had to revamp their defense and then that didn't work out and they hired a new guy. So, you know, I don't know how much you want to change things up. You'd, I would be nervous changing it to such a degree that we need new pieces. You know, it has to at least work, especially since we have so many high-priced pieces. We're not getting rid of almost anybody on this defense. So if it doesn't work with these guys, it ain't going to work. I, I don't think there's a ton of schemes that Rashawn can't fit into. But, like, for example, if we go into four down linemen, I mean, is, is that really going to be what's best for Rashawn? I know he did it in college, but he's remade himself. Is that, can Preston do that? Do we want Lucas Van Ness doing that? I'm just thinking out loud in terms of, you know, where guys, what what kinds of systems and schemes would be most uh, beneficial. This isn't necessarily a Patriots thing. It's, I'm just saying it is a different scheme in general. And it, it might be a, a better one, but um, it, it it is different. So are we getting away from Fangio or are we just getting away from Barry running sort of the Fangio style system? Interestingly enough... Um, a guy by the name of Christian Parker. I don't know why he's apparently flying up the ranks here. He was with the Packers up through 2020. He got hired away to be the defensive backs coach for the Denver Broncos 2021 through the present. Um, so he was here, then went and actually was the DB coach under Fangio. So he 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 so he started in college all the way back in 2013. He was at Virginia State, Norfolk State, Notre Dame. Um, and Texas A&M, and he was, he was an analyst. Then he was quality control for Pettin, breaking down film of opponents, and then again, DB's coach for the Broncos. I mean, the, the reason I like something like this, on one hand, you look at it, it's like, man, this guy's got no experience. He's 31 years old. He just got into the NFL in 2019. But at the same time, I mean, these unbelievably rapid risers are the guys that go on to be game changers. So you, you got to decide which it is. Is it too early and he needs to cut his teeth and do a couple other things? Is he going to be too raw and, and unfamiliar with things? Or is he sort of like one of those super brilliant minds that you have to get your hands on? 
But Christian Parker is a guy to uh, think about. And again, he's been here. He worked here. And then he went under Fangio, which seems perfect. If, if this guy really can do it, it seems like a great fit. Otherwise, the, uh, I'll just go through the rest, the rest of the names here. Uh, Marquand Manuel over there for the Jets. Pretty familiar name. DB coach over there. I mean, you got to figure New York Jets would be kind of going in the 49ers direction. I don't exactly know what the 49ers are doing and how that differs from what we do, but I can't imagine anybody would be upset about looking at the 49ers and say, let's just do what you do. Patrick Graham with the Raiders, Bobby Babich in the, with the Buffalo Bills, Arden Durd with the Cowboys. Some of these guys may have been hired, by the way. There's a couple names on here. Um, I'm not sure. But Cowboys are off to it. What? Hold on. What is... Uh, I want to check on this guy, Arden. Or excuse me, Aiden. So he was actually a Kansas City Chiefs football player in t- 2008. He got his first gig with the Falcons in 2018 as a quality control coach. Two years later, he's the outside linebackers coach for the Falcons. 2021, he's the D-line coach for the Cowboys. I mean, again, it's kind of interesting to have very little experience and to be working your way up. Probably a little bit of a different tree, but interesting. Because Dallas is just on another level right now. Uh, Fangio has a job. Flores has a job. Jared Mayo is a very well-known name. And then Eric Henderson, Rams defensive line coach, run game coordinator. Hey, how about that? D-line and run game for a defensive coordinator? That's something to think about. But he played for the Bengals. Then he played for the Las Vegas Lo- Locomotives in 2000, through 2011. Co- uh, started getting coaching gigs all the way through uh, college through 2016. Joined up with the Chargers as assistant defensive line coach. Then 2019 went to the Rams D-line coach. 2021 D-line coach slash run game coordinator. So, and that's one of those cool things too. I mean, he's, he's had a little bit of time, not a ton. I mean, you got to understand some of these old school coaches have started coaching in the eighties. So starting in 2012, that's still relatively young. I mean, he's 40 years old, but it's kind of cool when you see a D-line coach get promoted to D-line coach slash run game coordinator. Cause in my mind, all you're really doing is you're giving him a promotion. You're giving him more money and you're begging him not to leave. And again, we're looking at similar uh, defensive coaching trees. I mean, that's where Barry came from. So obviously, so I don't know, man. I mean, it's, it's, you never know what's going to work. And and I feel like no matter what we do, people are going to be excited. Some people are not. You want a guy that's got experience. You know, if we get a guy that got experience, people are going to be upset. If you get a young guy, people are going to be upset. Why would you do that? You got this established guy. Um, I think most fans tend to lean toward, I would rather have an established type of coach. I don't, I don't mind it. I wouldn't mind somebody with a proven track record, but I, I think if you want to be on the cutting edge, you end up getting one of these young guys, young, fresh minds that are coming up. I mean, that's, you know, that, that, uh, what the heck is that podcast that had LaFleur and, uh, McVeigh and all those guys. It was just four young guys coming up that have kind of taken the league by storm. I'm not saying the old guys can't hack it because they are currently hacking it, but I mean, Hackett's not hacking it, but. <laughs> Anyways, I don't know. I, I, it's, it's a scary thing, but it also feels like uh, a direction I'd kind of like to go in. This is all assuming we move on from Joe Barry. For all I know, that guy's going to be here for a long time because our defense is going to dominate. I'm just answering the question. Anyways, I got to get out of here. You guys have a good rest of your night. I will talk to you later. Have a good one. Bye-bye.